Praise God. Give God one more hand of praise. Get right into the message. Last week we spoke on, started a series we're calling Face to Face. It's about not only just the fact that God wants to live a life face to face with you, but God has empowered you to live a life face to face with Him. There are three different segments of humanity or, or, or portions of humanity that we can see in the Scripture. Of course, we have uh, the dispensation that we're in, which is uh, post-resurrection, where death, hell, and the grave have lost its power over you and me. But then before that, there was a segment where mankind could hear God, and God could hear man, but they could have no immediate fellowship because of the stain of sin that was on mankind. Uh, originally, Adam and Eve was in this position where they were created in God's likeness and God's image and they walked around with God, they talked with God, the Bible uh, shows that God would, would walk with them in the cool of the day and they would just enjoy their life with God and, and everything, there was, no, there was no partition of any kind between Adam and God. Matter of fact, uh, God had, had big plans for Adam. He told him, he said, he said, what I want you to do, Adam, he said, here's some animals. I'm going to create all kind of different things and I want you to name them. And he, and he, he began to name all the animals and he gave them the names. And, and then other things that God told Adam to do was uh, one of the things he said, here's heaven, here's earth. Now I want you, Adam, I want you to take dominion over the earth. I want you to take dominion over all the animals. Which means a barn owl should not make somebody have to move out of their house that's called an animal taking dominion over man. I'm not saying we should get rid of the hoot owls or anything else. I'm just saying that man was put in place to take dominion over the, over the earth. Including, the Bible says, every plant that comes up. That sounds kind of silly. How does a man take dominion over a plant? Well, here's the scenario. God knew that one day man would, would, would get older uh, and go away from him. And at that point... He would take some plant and he would crush it up and he'd roll it up in a piece of paper and he would smoke it and all of a sudden for the rest of that man's life, that plant, tobacco, had dominion over him. Completely tarnishing his lungs and his health and all these other things. And listen, if you smoke, you know, that's, that's your business. I'm not trying to point any fingers or anything like that. I'm just telling you it's unhealthy. It's not good for you. It will kill you before your time. That's what will happen. But God knew these things were possible. That's why he told Adam to take dominion over the plants. I don't want any plant telling you what to do. I don't want any plant telling you when to spend $5.50 or however much pack of Marlboro Lights cost nowadays. I don't want this stuff taking dominion over you. I want you to have dominion over this stuff. So Adam was, was in this position and everything was good. Now God, he, he's a very creative God. So uh, he, he not only created, you know, the, 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 the plain looking uh, uh, rocks that we look at. He also created the beautiful peacock that puts its feathers up. He's very creative. He didn't just create the depths of the ocean that we can't see uh, without uh, special equipment. He also created the highest peaks of the highest mountain so that we could look at them and adore them and, and go climb them and, and ski down them and all the things you do on mountains. He's a very creative God and he made you and me to be creative. Now I'm going to take a side note for just a second. Parents, let's get creative. Let's make sure we're effective 
at reaching the next generation, our children, our grandchildren, etc., with the good news of the gospel. Let's make sure that we put the information of the kingdom in them whenever they are young. And you say, well, I didn't do it when they were little. Well, listen here, start now. And get creative about it. You know, creativity doesn't just mean uh, you, you like to uh, uh, mold pots and put them in a, a kiln and, and paint them. That, that's one level of creativity. There's different levels. The, the band up here, which absolutely blows it away every week, uh, they, they're very creative in this area. But, but to, to paint them with one brush would be, uh, would be ridiculous. Matthew Humphrey not only plays the keys, uh, but he also sings good. He also makes amazing art. Uh, uh, artwork and designs and, and stuff on computers. He's also very handy when it comes to building things and stuff like that. Uh, his wife Tiffany, same type thing. She sings like a bird, but that's not the extent of who she is. She's also in a powerful minister who's pouring her life into the young people of this church and, and other places and she's just doing great things. Don't limit yourself to what you think. You have different layers and different facets that you can tap into at any time, but you've got to find some way short of sin to be effective for the next generation. Your life and my life, that's the overall and overwhelming precursor for what we ought to be doing is spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it starts at home, it starts with those closest to us, it starts with those in our circle. Amen? So Adam and Eve, they, 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 they get separated from God by sin. We all remember the snake comes in and tempts them and they eat the fruit and all of a sudden God says, you got to get out of the garden. And, you know, if you're looking at it from the outside, it would look like, oh man, that's just a mean thing to do to make them go away. But the reality was is if they touched God in their unclean state, the Bible shows us later that they would have died instantly and then there would have been no seed of David raised up in the lineage of Adam that would become the Messiah, the one who repairs the Preach for you and for me. So God protecting you and protecting me sent Adam and Eve out of the garden and the greatest plan in all humanity took, uh, began. So they, they're, they're now in a place where they're, they're separated from God, but they can hear from God and God can hear from them, but they can't have any fellowship. They can't touch because if you guys remember, who was here last week? Wave at me. We had the, the, these two rags. We had one dirty rag and one clean rag. And when the dirty rag touches the clean rag, the clean rag gets dirty. That's the way it is with God. You and me, the Bible says, as righteous as we can become on our own, is but filthy rags before God. So if you, the filthy rag, go touch a clean God... God is no longer clean, therefore He's no longer perfect, therefore He's no longer holy, therefore He's no longer separate. So what God had to do was prepare a place for you and for me next to Him that we could get inside of so that we could withstand His glory and our imperfection would not stain His perfection. So Exodus chapter number 33, open your Bible if you would please, Exodus chapter number 33. If you don't have your Bible, it's no problem, we'll just put it on the screen. Exodus chapter 33 and verse number 21. This is Moses talking to God. And I'll give you a little backstory of Moses. Moses is a very multi-layered hero of the scripture. He's a very multi-layered hero of God, uh, a hero of our Bible. And, and, and he's always viewed as the deliverer, but he's much more than that. He's a form and a type and a shadow of who Jesus Christ would be. For instance, Moses was born in a time when all the babies, all the baby boys were to be murdered, were to be killed. And 
the same thing we happened whenever Jesus was born. When Jesus was born, there was a decree put out to kill all the babies, all the baby boys at that time. And then also Moses was not raised by his natural father, but he was raised by his natural mother. Same thing with Jesus. Jesus was not raised by his biological father per se, because his biological father is God, but he was raised by his natural mother. So we see these, these parallels all the time with Moses and Jesus showing us what Jesus is actually going to be like. Uh, Jesus is from another kingdom. Uh, the Bible says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus, by the way. So in the very beginning, Jesus existed. So God, Jesus didn't begin to exist uh, 2,000 years ago. He existed in the very beginning. He was always there. That's why whenever uh, God said that He was making mankind, He said, let us... Make him in our likeness. Well, who's us? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Somehow, miraculously, God is three parts, uh, uh, three divine parts that form to make one. It's a very amazing thing. And when we all get to heaven, our eyes of our understanding will be opened in a way and we'll all understand it even more than we can right now. But, but the situation is Jesus was around forever. He didn't, just, uh, he didn't just show up in Bethlehem. He's always been around. But he came from another kingdom and was raised up. surrounded by sin surrounded by the world Moses was an Israelite but he was raised up around the Egyptians and every time you see Egyptians in the Bible especially when they control the Israelites it's representative of sin so we see these congruent parallel paths that Moses and Jesus are on showing us what Jesus is going to be like so Moses gets to a place and he's leading the Israelites he's leading God's people and he says listen I, I just really want to see your face God I mean, me and you are like this. We talk all the time, but I'd like to see your face. And God says to him, he says, you can't see my face or you'll die. You can't behold my glory because effectively what he was saying is, Moses, you're still a dirty rag. And I can't have a dirty rag touch me because then I'm not clean and then we're all in trouble. So verse 21, the Lord says to him, he says this, it's almost like an answer like, but he says, but the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock. There's a place next to me and you can stand on a rock. Verse 22, and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by you that I will put you in a cliff or a crevice of the rock and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by. So God says to him, he says, now listen, there is a place by me, and if you will stand on that place by me, I will place you in the cleft of the rock, then I will protect you by my hand, then you can withhold and withstand my glory. Everything we're talking about now is a very lawful scenario. It's like uh, uh, walking into another country. You have to have the right validation. You can't just go walking in somewhere. It's the same thing here. God's telling them, you got to be valid. You can't just come in my scenario all dirty ragging it in here. It's just not going to happen, Moses. You can't do it. So what he says to him, he says, there's a place by me. Well, the scripture goes on to teach. The Bible says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. The scripture further teaches, it says that Jesus is the building block 
that was rejected that became the cornerstone of the whole new world. He is the rock of ages. The, t- the scripture continues to teach us that those who have been baptized that we lit- and believe in Jesus, we literally put on Jesus. We are clothed in Christ. So what happens is, is we stand on the rock. What's the rock? The rock is Jesus. The rock is Jesus is the Son of God. The other way that we know that is whenever uh, Jesus said to his disciples, he goes, who do men say that I am? They said, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet. Somebody, he said, but who do you say I am? That's very important. Because you'll always hear what other people say God is, what other people say about Jesus. But there's a day coming when the only thing that's going to matter is what do you say about Jesus? Who do you say Jesus is? So anyway, he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, he says, whoa, whoa, Peter, that's pretty good right there. He said, there's no way you could have known that. The only way that you could know that is my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. He goes, but here's the scenario. Upon that rock, the rock, the fact that I am the Son of the living God, upon that rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Jesus says to Peter, he goes, this is what I'm going to build it on. So God says to Moses, he goes, there's a place next to me. It's a rock. You can stand on the right seas at the right time. I'll put you in the rock. Once you're in the rock, you can withhold my glory. So now you and me, if you've said yes to Jesus, can withhold the glory of God. That's how you and me are able to go boldly into the presence of God and make our requests known unto God without fear of a lightning bolt or something killing us, not because you've gotten yourself into a righteous position, but because God has put you in the cliff of his rock which is his son named Jesus everybody say Jesus is the rock you are placed in the rock because you are you can withstand the glory of God but it's not just so you can be close to God it's because God longs for a face to face fellowship-filled relationship with His offspring, with His creation. We serve a living God who chose to move heaven and earth in order to make it where you and I could have a lifestyle where we live face-to-face with the Creator of all things. When Crystal and I got married... We, uh, if you're new here, my wife is over in Children's Church right now. Her name's Crystal. She's beautiful, and I promise you will like her more than you like me. But either way, when we were dating, we lived about a hundred miles apart, and and, and two, two two or three times a week, I would drive down there and buy her dinner. You know, something real nice, usually like a pizza and a two-liter Dr. Pepper. And we would sit at Kima, and we would watch the boats go by because she lived by Kima. And we would watch all the boats go by, and we'd daydream about those boats. And then not long after we got married, I bought one of those big old boats. Come on, somebody. Anyway, we would sit there dating, and we'd be late at night, and I'd drive back to my apartment in Beaumont, which, boy, it was real nice. I mean, I had, like, a bed sheet, and, and that's it. <laughs> because I didn't care. I just wanted to be in... in, in, in chemo where crystal was or down there where she was but the thing was we both had cell phones we talked all the time talked all day all day long talking text messaging was just coming out we started texting you know the kind where you got to like tap the number like three times to get to see see and then 
If I remember right, why was a pretty easy one. It was just like one. But anyway, that's how you typed, you know. So we would text message, and, and she was way better at it than I was. But we, we would text message back and forth. But there was something about a face-to-face relationship. There's only one person on the planet I talk to every single day other than Crystal. Maybe two. My dad and my mom. Almost without exception, my dad. For as long as I've lived, he's been my best friend that I can remember. Now, there's seasons and times there where I'd have to say he didn't act very friendly to me. It was, <laughs> he was one of those kind. But at the same time, we, we, we developed into just being best friends. When I, when I was in college, I remember kind of transitioning around 18, 19 years old. And I remember the relationship shifting. And, and some of the ways that I remember it is things that I would say or do, which would uh, cause an immediate change of events in my life, didn't cause the same immediate change of events. Meaning I, I didn't get grounded if I said this or, or whatever. Just things just started to shift and, and, and I didn't really know it. I've got two brothers, one older, one younger. Uh, so I kind of watched my older brother go through this same season and he's very close to my parents as well. We're all very close to be honest with you. And, and, and so we're, 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 we got this relation. We start molding into, into just, just being best friends and, and we, we love the same things, you know. We, we like talking about the same stuff, you know. We love church. You know, a part of my schedule is sometime between 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock, almost every single morning, I'm going to call him or he's going to call me. Sometimes more than once. And almost always, we will talk about some way to get the gospel out in the Brazos Valley in a more powerful way. Almost without exception. Other times, we will talk about the best joke we've heard in the last 12 hours. Or other times we may talk about Sports Center or, or, or Johnny Football. Come on, somebody. How did he do yesterday? So we'll just talk and, and we, we just develop this, this, this really close friendship. And so Crystal and I get married and, and, and we move. Now, I, I didn't live with my parents at the time, but uh, after, we, after we got married, we lived about 150 miles away. Again, we got phones. Crystal, uh, we, we dated and were engaged for a little over two years or so. And she developed a great relationship with my parents. So we were constantly, ever and always uh, together. So when we were 150 miles apart, still talked every day, you know. Uh, God really blessed me with, a, with some great opportunities. And we were just doing well and everything was a lot of fun. And, and so two or three times a week, though, we would drive 150 miles one way just to go eat dinner. And then turn around and drive back. And they would do the same as much or more often. Because we lived in Houston. There was a lot more restaurants in Houston than there were where they lived. There was a, there was a restaurant called Tamales. There was a restaurant called Cedar Tree. And there was a restaurant called McDonald's. <laughs> that was it. Almost. So every week we would do this. And, and sometimes we would drive to a town. Uh, you guys know where Livingston is, anybody? Yes, no, yes. And there was a, there's a restaurant over there because I like seafood. I see food and I eat it. But, but there's a seafood restaurant over there called Shrimp Boat Manny's. And if you've never had Shrimp Boat Manny's, don't leave yet. But when service is over, go to Livingston and eat Shrimp Boat Manny's. It's really good. We would drive there to eat. And, and, and I remember that time so vividly because we chose to be in fellowship. You know, now we live in, a, in the same town. Go to the same church, 
have the same, but we've always had the same values, but have the same values, have the same belief structure, still enjoy the same thing. But in the season when we should have been apart, we chose to be in fellowship. You see, this is where God is with you. He's sitting there and you can hear him. And he can hear you. We have proof that he heard that Adam heard from God and God heard from Adam after he sinned. But God wants to be in fellowship with you. He wants to live a life face to face with you. Open your Bible to Mark chapter number 15. Uh, in this season, whenever Jesus was about to get killed, uh, there was a temple, of course. And in the temple, there was a veil that separated the holiest of holies from where other people could go. And the only way you could get into the the, the holiest of holies was to go through a certain number of sacrifices and to go through a certain number of processes. And that would temporarily make you clean enough to get into the holiest of holies. But then you had to come out. And then before you went back in, you had to go through the same cleansing processes again. And it was all type and shadow of how we were going to be cleaned up by Jesus and be able to get into the presence of God. Because the holiest of holies always represents the presence of God. So Jesus is about to be uh, crucified. He's hanging on a cross and he's about to die. And he says this in verse number, uh, 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 excuse me, verse number 37. He cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost, meaning Jesus died. Verse 38. And the veil of the temple, this is what separated people from God, people from the presence of God. The veil of the temple was rent, meaning it was torn in two pieces from the top to the bottom. Now it's important that the temple was that the veil was torn, but it's even more important that it was torn from the top to the bottom. What God's saying to you and me right there is you could do anything you want, but it wasn't torn from the bottom up. It was torn from the top down. In your worst moment when you don't feel right, when you don't feel good, when you don't feel like you deserve it, when you don't feel like you're worthy, when you don't feel like you should have the opportunity, remind yourself that it was God who destroyed the veil from the top down so that you could access the holiest of holies. Holiest of holies is a, is a word we probably don't kick around much today. It literally means face to face with God. You and me have the opportunity to live our lives face to face with God. And only God was capable of giving us that opportunity. So now we understand that we're lawfully able to be close to God because Jesus is the rock that we've been placed in. We understand that the veil is ripped. We understand that we now can access the presence of God and live a life face to face with God. Now what do I do? Show me James chapter 5 and verse number 16. Turn there if you have your Bible. James 5 and verse number 16. Confess your faults one to another. And pray for one another. Number one, James was Jesus' brother and he wrote this letter to believers. So when it says here, confess your faults one to another, you need to be confessing your faults to somebody who loves you, who is for you, who is a believer in God, who's filled with the Word of God, who's filled with the presence of God, and not just somebody who you talk to at the water cooler at work. Here's what happens when you talk at the water cooler at work. Johnny walks up to Billy. He says, Billy... Man, I wish my wife would do this, 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 and this. And then Billy goes home 
and tells his wife, Johnny wishes his wife would do this, 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 and this. And then Billy's wife calls Johnny's wife and says, hey, did you know Johnny's talking about you at work? And then Johnny gets home from work and walks in and says, hey, babe, how's it going? And she goes, why are you talking to Billy about me at work? That is not what the scripture is talking about when it says confess your faults one to another. Jesus had hundreds of people that followed him. There was 120 in the upper room. Jesus had uh, 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 12 that he lived with, shared food with, and ate with all the time. All the time. There was three that he took to a place whenever Elijah showed up on a mountain at a place called the Mount of Transfiguration. But there was one that he said, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There are layers of relationships in your life. There's the hundreds that you will impact. Sometimes daily, probably not daily. There's the closer group that you live with. That's your sphere. That's your circle. And iron will sharpen iron there. And there's three, but oftentimes just one that you really share everything with. And it's in that season, it's in that time when you're sharing that iron begins to sharpen iron. But it only happens when you're confessing and talking with people that you know are for you. Amen? And pray for one another, the Bible says. Meaning pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your neighbor. Pray for your wife. Pray for your husband. Pray for your children. If you don't know how to pray for your children, one way to start is every morning before they go to school or before you go to work, whoever leaves first, put your hand on their head and say, in the name of Jesus, bless my child today. That's a really good start. And it's like anything. It's like riding a bike. It's like running a marathon. The little bit that you start with can snowball into something really great. Amen? Amen. And pray for one another that you may be healed. A lot of times you can just be healed in yourself by praying for somebody else. What you you sow, you're going to reap. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Effectual and fervent is one word in the original text. And what it literally means is overwhelming strength, much power, large force. Excuse me. Effectual fervent means uh, uh, active and non-stopping, meaning never going to cease. Meaning in your life and in my life, it's our responsibility to develop an active lifestyle of prayer and not just a one and done scenario. If Brandy and Tony are newlyweds, well, y'all are all in this sermon. If Brandy and Tony are newlyweds, only spoke to one another on their wedding day and never talked again, it wouldn't go well. But they are developing a lifestyle of communication, an effective, fervent relationship that is active and moving at all times. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man, a righteous man's approved. Remember the dirty rags. A dirty rag can't get to God. The rag's got to be covered by something. You and I are covered in Jesus. So when you go to God, you're not going to God on your own account. You're going on to God on the account of Christ Jesus, the one who died for you. So you are approved. So literally, the continuous active prayer of the person that is approved, which is you and me, availeth much. Availeth much is what means huge strength, large force, large power, overwhelming might. 
When you pray, hell starts to get nervous. And not many people really pray. Well, it's quiet in here when I say stuff like that. Not many people really pray. And here's the thing. I understand it. If you have the gift or if you have the the unction to pray for three hours straight, you know what? That's a pretty good indication uh, that you are called to intercessory prayer. A lot of times it's ladies. Not always, but a lot of times it's ladies. They say uh, the average woman speaks four times more words in a day than the average man. And that's not counting grunts and uh uh-huhs. What are y'all laughing at? Sometimes people are called into that situation. There are people, our prayer team is a strong prayer team. Anytime something, a, a need comes to the church or a situation comes to church, we do our best to get it in the hands of the prayer team and let it disperse it to the people who are praying. Anytime we're thinking and praying about an event or something coming up, we want the prayer team praying for it. We want the thing meditated on. We want believe in God. We want God to direct our path. We want this thing to be bathed and baptized in prayer at any and all times absolutely possible possible but sometimes in your life and in my life you're not bent that way and that's okay too but it doesn't excuse you from prayer we're to pray without ceasing we're to constantly be in a face-to-face position with God now here's the scenario we know we can because we're in the rock We know we can access the throne room because we're in Christ. We we know we have the power because whenever we pray, our prayers consist of mighty strength and and overwhelming power. Now, 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 I get it. I understand. But how and when am I supposed to do that? I can't even get out of the house with the kids having the same pair of socks on their feet. I can't even get my makeup on straight because I'm bouncing in the ditch when I'm driving. I can't get anything. I left the dishes in the sink again. I forgot to mow the yard again. I don't have time to turn around. I know I'm supposed to pray. I'm tired of feeling bad about it, but I don't know how to pray. When do I pray? Where do I pray? At what point in the day am I supposed to find prayer? At what point in the day am I supposed to find time? I'm about to help you right here. And if you'll follow these keys, your life will change and you will never be the same again. Between work, school, soccer, grocery, and the food network, when do you pray? Here's what Corey Ten Boom said. She was a Christian, a Danish Christian who helped to hide and save all a lot of Jewish people during the Holocaust. Which, by the way, if you want something to add to your prayer list, there is a beginning of a Holocaust going on right now with the Jews and Christians in the Middle East. Always pray for Jerusalem. Always. Even if you don't understand it, just hear me at this. Pray for Jerusalem. It will change your life. Pray for God's city. Corey Tim Boom said it like this. Don't pray when you feel like it. Have an appointment with God and keep it. You have an appointment with the dentist. You have an appointment with the doctor. 
You have an appointment with your mechanic to look at your car. You have an appointment with the refrigerator repairman to come look at your refrigerator. You even have an appointment to get your nails painted. There's nothing unholy about setting an appointment with God. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. It's a word you don't hear very often. Disciplined ones. Go into all the world and make disciplined ones. Develop some processes in your life. And this is one of them that's really good. Develop some processes in your life that position you to follow the Word of God. Set an appointment with God. And keep it. You can't, here, here, let me tell you how I do it. Three appointments a day. And I do it like this. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I can hit all three, but most of the time I'm just trying for one. Where I have an appointment with God. And if I miss it, I won't miss the next one. So say one of them's at 7 o'clock in the morning. The other one's at 1230. And then... The second one comes up and somebody drives into town and, you know, I've got to be with them or, or whatever, the, 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 whatever, the washing machine goes out. Fill in the blank, whatever the problem is. You miss the second one too. The last one's at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Do not miss the last appointment. You will speed. You will get off the exit without the ramp. You'll go through the grass to not be late for the eye doctor. To not miss the appointment. But the creator of the universe. We have a difficult time making time for. Make an appointment with God. And keep it. One other thing. Tied to the same thought. Take a pen and a piece of paper with you when you pray. I know what you're thinking right now. Because God might say something to you. And he might. A lot of times it happens. I personally wish it happened every time I prayed. I wish God just downloaded something to me. Every time. Doesn't happen. Every time. Get a notebook, a piece of paper or a pen. A piece of paper and a pen. Because I don't know if this ever happens to you, but here's what happened to me. And a very smart person told me about this technique. You'll be praying. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just want you to bless my family. I want you to just open the let the anointing on their life increase. And you don't have to pray like I'm praying. I'm just telling you. Just to, uh, let the anointing on my life increase. Let the anointing on my children increase. Did I get the milk today or did I not get the milk today? Your mind just goes pew, pew, pew. If you got a pen and a paper, you can just write down, get milk. Like I said, Lord, if you would please increase the anointing on my children. Help me in every way that I can i got to get the oil changed in my truck. Oil change. Thank you, Father, for blessing me coming in and going out. Here's the deal. God is not the author of confusion. But there is an enemy. And if you get serious about prayer, he's going to try to do anything and everything to just get your mind off of it for that long. And if you got to sit there praying, worried about the milk instead of just writing it down, and then whenever you finally get done praying, you can go, okay, now where's my list? And you can knock that list out in three seconds. Whack. It's helped me, overwhel- it's helped me overwhelmingly. And here's the other thing I found about God, about the devil. He's very crafty. But he's not very persistent. If you resist the devil, 
The Bible says he has to flee, and he really does. He just leaves. And oh, by the way, nobody ever ran a marathon by saying, okay, today I'm going to run 26.2 miles. Well, you got to start where you are. Most of you are not in the shape that I'm in. That's a joke. You run a mile, you run a half mile, whatever. You build up. Same thing. Think about John Wesley. One of the greatest uh, uh, patriarchs of the spirit-filled movement was called a Methodist because of all the methods that he said, well, you know, I just, I got to have some, I got to have a plan. If you want to build a house, what do you do? You have a plan. You don't just grab a hammer and a nail. You draw that thing. You build a foundation. And most of the time, whenever you build a foundation, the first thing you do is you start digging deep. In your life and in my life, that's the way it is with God. He wants the face-to-face relationship. He's available. Set an appointment with God and keep it. Amen? Number two. Almost done, guys. Prayer is an effort of will. Prayer is an effort of will. That ought to set you free. Don't ever feel bad again when you don't feel like praying. Because prayer is an effort of will. But it's just like anything else. The more you walk, the more you eat right, the more you want to walk, the more you want to eat right, all of a sudden your attitude starts lining up with that will that God put on the inside of you. Don't not pray because you don't feel like it. That is called sissified pansy Christianity. Can you say sissified in church? I have to check my rule book. If you want the greatest litmus test for spiritual maturity, I'm about to give it to you. You do not require much outside encouragement. If your walk with God is completely determined by how many nice things somebody is saying to you about your walk with God, you're probably not very mature in God. By the way, that's not the person to talk to at the water cooler. Let them work it out. David got in a cave with nobody else and just encouraged himself. Prayer is an effort of will. Some people are bent towards intercession. Great. Do it. Please add me to the list. But if you're not, you're not excused from prayer. So here's the scenario. We we know we have the ability to pray. We know we have the ability to be in the presence of God because of what Jesus has done for us. We know that our prayer, our active prayer, is overwhelmingly strong and overwhelmingly powerful. What then should we pray for? At this point in time, at New Heights Church, September 2014, August 2014, I'm asking you to pray with me for the lost. Name the ones you know, yes. 
But I'm asking you to pray for the ones you don't know too. I believe God is fixing to send a lot of people to this church that don't have a good face-to-face relationship with God. And if you and I do not lay the foundation which is found in prayer, which is found in time face-to-face with God, we're not going to be able to represent the kingdom as well as we ought to be able to represent the kingdom when God sends them. God's called this house to change the Brazos Valley. We'll reach the world. Yeah, yeah, we we have plans for that too. But we're going to change this region in the name of Jesus. We're going to see lives changed. We're going to see people discipled and becoming the, the, the men and women of God that He's called them to be. We're going to see people revolutionized for the kingdom. We're going to see it all happen. So if you want to know what's on God's mind all the time, all day and all night, I'm fixing to do a whole uh, a series on it. It, it, it. Beginning in September, I can't wait. I, I, I'm, I'm having to stop myself from preaching most of it. The series is called Lost and Found. You bring somebody to New Heights Church in September, I promise you they will either reject Jesus, point blank, or they will get born again. Because we're going after the lost. Right now we're building a foundation. That's why I've asked you all month long to be praying with me, believing God with me. That when the lost come in here, they hear the message of the cross. And they have the opportunity to be changed. This is what we're going for. So if you wonder what's on the heart of God all day, every day, it's the lost. If Jesus walked in here right now like Johnny... He would turn around and walk out. Not because he doesn't love you. Not because we don't have the best praise and worship team imaginable. Not because what? Not because any other reason. Not because he doesn't like the ceiling fans. He would leave here because he would go, okay, 99 sheep, bingo, let me go find one that's lost. He leaves the 99 that are secure in him to go find the lost. So what I'm asking you to do for the month of August is to pray with me. Because it's ever and always on his mind. I got one more quote I'd like to share with you. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers in history, said this. If sinners be condemned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. If sinners be condemned in the Brazos Valley, at least let them leap to hell over our knees. If they will perish from Bryan and College Station and the surrounding region, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let none of them, let not one of them related to us or not related to us, let none of them perish without knowing that they are prayed for and that they're informed. If you want to know what this house is about, if you're a visitor here, this is really more like a Wednesday night message. But if you're a visitor here, this is what this house is about. We will do anything short of sin to get people connected with God. And what we're doing right now 
What we're doing in August 2014 is I'm asking you to pray with me that when God sends these people that they would be softened and hear the good news of the gospel. Amen? Stand to your feet if you would, please. I'm done teaching. Thank you for listening. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info.